We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The volume. All right, welcome to Oops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Friday, everybody. I hope all of you guys are having a great week so far. We are live on AMP, so if you're watching on YouTube or listening on the podcast feeds, don't forget that AMP is the very first place that you guys can get these shows. Getting down to the nitty-gritty of our top 25 players of the last 25 years today with number two, Tim Duncan. And then I've got two mailbag questions for the end of the show as well. You guys know the drill. Before we get started, subscribe to The Volume's YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our videos. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT so you guys don't miss any show announcements. And if for whatever reason you miss one of these videos and you can't get back over to YouTube to finish, don't forget you can find them wherever you get your podcasts under Hoops Tonight. Also, need mailbag questions for tomorrow as well as moving into the future. We're going to continue that into next week. And bear with me today. I'm still dealing with some uh, some stuff uh, with my voice, so struggling a little bit there. All right, let's talk some basketball. Number two, Tim Duncan. His accolades, five-time NBA champion, best player on five championship teams. Now, in 2014, he wasn't the same top-tier superstar that he was in the earlier part of his career, but I still believe he was the best and most important player on that Spurs team. But at that point, Tony Parker was basically right underneath him and kind of at the same level, right? Uh, But when you think of uh, Duncan as the defensive fulcrum of the team as well, especially the role he played in slowing down those Heat teams over those two years with his rim protection, I still think... He was the best player on that team. 10-time first-team All-NBA. That's second most in NBA history. 15 times All-NBA overall. That's tied with Kobe and Kareem for second most all-time. 15 All-Defense selections. Most all-time. We're going to get to that in a minute. Two regular season MVPs in 2002 and 2003. And three NBA Finals MVPs in 1999, 2003, and 2005. His 2007 season should have won Finals MVP as well. Not as egregious as the ones that we saw in 2014 and 2015, which uh, were, were going to role players, right? Because Tony Parker was you know, considered one of the fulcrums of that team. Uh, But I thought that Tony Parker kind of got the benefit of box score watching again because he put up big numbers against the Cavs. But I thought Tim Duncan was far and away the best player 
on the 2007 Spurs and deserved Finals MVP that year as well. We've gone into that in the past, but basically to me, Finals MVP should be more representative of the best player on the team rather than who played the best in that two-week period. It just doesn't make any sense to me personally. Tim Duncan's claim to fame. He's the greatest power forward to ever touch a basketball court. We're going to dive into it on both ends of the floor. Starts on the defensive end. He was the very best rim protector in the league during his era. He averaged at least two blocks per game for 10 consecutive seasons, starting right when he was a rookie. So he came in the league and immediately put up a decade straight of at least two blocks per game. He finished his career averaging 2.2 blocks per game. And then he averaged two blocks a game again as a 38-year-old in 2015, which is crazy when you factor in that was in the more spread out and higher pace NBA. <laughs> In the time that this list covers, which again goes from 1999 to 2023, Tim Duncan leads everyone in blocks by a mile. He has 2,814 blocks in that span. Second place is Dwight Howard with 2,228. So almost 600 more blocks than anybody else during the time period of this list. And his 15 all-defense selections is the most in NBA history. And it's probably an unbreakable record. KG and Kobe are in second place with 12. But... At this point, it's hard to even imagine a potential player getting that many. Maybe Victor Wimanyama can come in and do it. But that 15 all-defense selections may very well end up being a record that stands the test of time. He's one of the very best defensive players in NBA history. And him being able to anchor that Spurs defense kept them consistently relevant, basically from 1999 all the way through to 2000. 16. He's it, it, it's it's uh, as impressive a or 2015. Excuse me, as as impressive a, a streak of consistency and longevity that you'll find in the NBA. Now on offense, <clears throat> there was a very specific reason that they called Tim Duncan the big fundamental. There wasn't anything particularly exciting about a Tim Duncan post up. It wasn't you know extravagant footwork. It wasn't extravagant shot making. But it still worked every single time. It started with his size and strength. He was 6 feet 11. He weighed over 215 pounds. So other post defenders had uh, 250 pounds, excuse me. Other post defenders did not have any luck pushing him off of his spot. It's very difficult to disrupt his base. Remember, when it comes to post play, disrupting the base is arguably the most important thing. These big guys are working on these shots over the top in post uh, in post offense. They're used to contests. Contests barely bother them. But if you can push them off their base, it disrupts their lift. It disrupts their energy transfer. They don't get to their release the way they want to. And that's where you can force misses. And Tim Duncan was an incredibly sturdy player at his 6'11", 250 pounds. <clears throat> his foundational skill was his right-handed hook shot. He had the best hook shot in the league during the 2000s. It was Jokic-esque. He made it damn near two out of three times. Now, it's tough to find tracking data for this because Synergy didn't start tracking hook shots until 2007, which was more towards the end of Tim Duncan's prime. But even at that point, he was still the best hook shooter in the league. He led the leagues in hook shot. He led the league in hook shots made in 2007 and made 65% of them. He led the league in hooks made again in 2008. He was second place in 2009. So now from there, there was a little bit of a decline as he entered into that second phase of his late prime, right? But he was the very best player in the league at making that right-handed hook shot. Now, it wasn't out of complicated footwork. Like Nikola Jokic is kind of more of an extravagant footwork type of player. With Tim Duncan, it was very simple. From that right block... He would dribble with his left hand, drop towards the baseline, and make that hook shot along the baseline. From the left block, 
he would make that drop step towards the middle of the lane and shoot that right-handed hook in the lane. That was the vast majority of his hook shots. He would occasionally mix in something more complicated, right? Like occasionally from the left block, he'd come across with a sweeping right-handed hook off of one foot. Occasionally from the left block, he'd do a rip through to the baseline and then spin back towards the middle and make a right-handed hook. But those were somewhat rare for the most part. It was just pretty standard drop step hook shots over his left shoulder, either towards the baseline or towards the middle, depending on which block he was on. It's kind of like I talk about with Nikola Jokic all the time. There's a simplicity to that hook shot. Like Jokic makes it at damn near 70%, and that just fundamentally causes problems for the defense. They have to either accept a points per shot around 1.3%, or they can send drastic measures, like send multiple defenders, right? Which then brings the passing into the equation. And that was the thing with with Duncan. It wasn't anything exceptional looking, but in terms of effectiveness, it could be downright damaging to a defense. Can you believe we've had seven months without an NFL game? It's crazy, right? Well, good thing that is over. The NFL is here in DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is giving you a can't-miss offer for week one. This week, new customers can get $200 in bonus bets instantly when you bet just 5 bucks on an NFL game. DraftKings is hooking everyone up with game day greatness. All customers can take advantage of two new offers every single game day in September. Check the app to see what you get. Download now and use code HOOPS to sign up. New customers can take home $200 in bonus bets instantly for betting just 5 bucks. That's code HOOPS, H-O-O-P-S, only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778 Hope and Y or text Hope and Y to 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. See dkng.co slash football for eligibility terms, and responsible gambling resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Now, one of the most... uh, Now, he had a couple of other little counters. He had a really nice face-up bank shot, particularly from the left block when he would get pushed further away from the basket. He would turn and face, and he had a little bank shot there. Uh, Also, his counter to his right-handed hook shot was a right-handed fadeaway over his right shoulder. When he was further away from the basket, it looked more like a jump shot. When he was closer to the basket, it looked more like that Shaquille O'Neal, like kind of one-handed push shot, turnaround jump shot thing. But that was kind of his counter. But again, he liked to try to get to his hook shot if he could. Now, one of the most important parts of the Spurs offense was cutting off of the post. You may have heard this referred to as a Spurs cut by you know uh, one of your coaches growing up or something along those lines. But basically, Duncan would catch the ball. Let's just envision Duncan catching the ball about 10 feet away from the basket or anywhere from 10 feet away from the basket to the high post because Tim would play from the high post some as well and catching and just holding with his back to the basket. Now, the person who makes the post entry from the right wing, let's call it Tony Parker, he makes the post entry from the right wing, Duncan catches. From there, the Spurs were really good about cutting off of the post. So Tim uh, Tony would basically fake a cut towards the middle and then cut off of Tim Duncan on the baseline side off of his left hand. Now, now, now just imagine 
Tony Parker's defender, here's Duncan, here's Tony Parker. Tony Parker's defender's right in the middle. And so as he cuts off, Tony, uh, Tim Duncan has an opportunity to set a screen there. One of the things he would do is he would establish his left foot as a pivot foot, and then as Tony Parker's cutting, he would pivot back this way with his right foot, effectively shutting the door on that defender, and and then Tony would find an opening on the backside. And Tim Duncan was really good at, after he kind of pivoted, just throwing that over-the-top pass to a Manu Ginobili or to a Tony Parker as he's cutting off of the post. One of the reasons why it's so important to cut off the post is it makes it harder to double-team. So if you make a pass from the right wing into the post on the, le- on the right block and Timmy's there and you just stand there, then we have that same dynamic, right? Timmy, Tony, defender in the middle – that defender is in a really easy position to be able to dig down and cause problems for Tim Duncan and still be in a position to close out to Tony Parker. Once you cut through and the defense kind of, or and your offensive uh, uh the other three offensive players kind of rotate around, when that happens it makes it harder to double team because the defender that's supposed to double is coming from another spot on the floor and is more interested in chasing his shooter to where he's going before he can get into a double, right? That was, you know, moving and cutting off of the post is vital for post-up spacing. You've seen a kind of a, an inverted version of this with the Warriors in recent years with split cuts, right? And it's less about actually trying to score out of the post than it is taking advantage of that spacing dynamic. That defender in between the guy in the post and the guard, it makes it really hard to see the ball behind you while tracking the shooter in front of you. And then the Warriors just add screening actions off of the post. So like instead of using the post-up player as the screener, they'll bring a second player over and they'll screen across and try to find a shot or vice versa. And then the guy who sets the screen will slip to the basket. That's how the Warriors do it. But there, it's really hard to guard screening actions out of the post. And the Spurs did it more using the post-up as the threat. The Warriors do it more using the shooters as the threat. But the fundamental concept of having to identify man and ball and when they're on opposite sides of you, which makes it hard to see, is what makes it so hard to guard. But to make a long story short, that combination of the Spurs movement and cutting, Tim Duncan's passing and his unstoppable post moves made him an incredible anchor for the the Spurs on the offensive end. We already talked about how he was an incredible anchor on the defensive end, and that's how the Spurs won. To make it simple, they were consistently great on both ends of the floor year in and year out from 1999 to 2015. So as a result, were, were they as dominant as some of the other teams? Were they as dominant as the Lakers? No. Were they as dominant as the Lakers again in the late 2010s? Uh, no. Were they as dominant as the Miami Heat? No. They never won two championships in a row. But they were always there. And that's the key. When things broke up, broke right, excuse me, they would end up on top. And that's the value of longevity and consistency. It's like it, it, there's odds at play, right? Like winning money on the slot machine is not easy, but if I give you a million chances at it and it doesn't cost you anything, you're going to eventually win. And that's kind of the thing. Like the Spurs were just always there. And so when things broke right, they would win. That's why they never won two in a row, but that is why they won five. The last thing I wanted to hit here was Tim Duncan's leadership. I've compared him a lot on this show to Steph Curry. 
Uh, obviously, they're very different players, but in terms of consistency within the organization, a complete lack of ego, only caring about winning and keeping an even keel emotionally, not getting down when things are bad, not getting too high when things are good. Steph Curry's the best player in the NBA at that right now. That was Tim Duncan, though, in his era. He was as stoic as it got, as unexpressive as it got, but he was dependable and consistent. And he, and as a result, he was able to maintain organizational consistency over a decade and a half, which directly led to their success. His crowning achievement, it's tough to pick just one for Tim Duncan, but I'm going to go with the 2003 season. He averaged 23 points, 13 rebounds, and 4 assists with 3 blocks per game. He made first-team All-NBA, made first-team All-Defense, won regular season MVP, then went up to 25-15-5 with 3.3 blocks per game in the playoffs. He dropped 37 and 16 on the Lakers in the Western Conference semis to knock out Kobe and Shaq. This was back in the Twin Towers era, and they were using Shaq to guard David Robinson. And so Tim Duncan just absolutely abused Robert Ory in that series and, and, and put up 37 and 16 to win that series in advance. They end up winning over the New Jersey Nets in the NBA Finals. Tim ties it off with his second Finals MVP. Hard to put together a more dominant season from start to finish. Than that. The biggest what if of Tim Duncan's career. I'm going to go with the Ray Allen shot in the corner of game six of the 2013 NBA Finals. Now, to kind of set the stage here, one of the best indicators, in my opinion, of, a, of an NBA player's greatness is how well he performs against his peers. It's really hard to gauge across position. I mean, we've run into this problem with LeBron and Steph. It's like, it's hard to argue their basketball skill sets because they're so different. Like, Obviously, Steph's perimeter gravity and his three-point shooting and his shot value is so much higher than what LeBron does from the perimeter, but LeBron's downhill dominance and his incessant rim pressure and his passing ability, what he can do defensively and as a rebounder is something that Steph can't touch, right? And so, like, you're arguing apples and oranges, and it really is just about personal preference, right? But when you start to look position to position... Like you, you can you can look directly at the way Steph Curry has prepared uh, performed compared to Russell Westbrook, or compared to Chris Paul, or compared to Damian Lillard. Some of his peers in the league, they play the same position, they do a lot of the same things, and Steph's just better at all those things, right? So that's that's kind of position to position, and the way that those comparisons can actually help us see the greatness of a player. Well, let's look at the 2013-2014 NBA Finals, like. Chris Bosh was one of the best power forwards in the league at the time. Not only that, he was in the heart of his prime. He was 28 years old at the most athletic version of himself who had the experience to understand. He had already won a championship and had two deep playoff runs at that point in his career. Tim Duncan was 36 and had a bad knee and whooped his ass. Like absolutely cooked Chris Bosh on both ends of the floor. In those two NBA Finals series. Just threw him around like a ragdoll. But as we look at a particular game. It's game six of the 2013 NBA Finals. The Spurs are up three games to two. On the road in Miami. Right, Miami's feeling a good amount of pressure. But they're obviously going to come out desperate. They've lost a game six at home. To lose an NBA Finals series before. In 2011. right? So it's a tough game to win. Tim Duncan goes throwback Timmy. Drops 30-17. and 17. In game six, has them in position to win, but a missed Kawhi Leonard free throw, a missed Manu Ginobili free throw, and a made LeBron James three, and a made Ray Allen three. Send it to OT where they end up winning. Then he almost does it again in game seven. He had 24 and 12 
in Game 7. He had an easy hook shot in the middle of the floor at the end that could have tied it, that he smoked. That's the one where Tim Duncan got super mad at himself and slapped the floor, if you guys remember. Obviously, I'm sure it felt great for him to come back and win the title the following season. But man, he averaged 18-10 and 10 in that playoff run, which is pretty standard Tim Duncan dominant numbers, 30-17 and 17 in what would have been a closeout game to win the trophy. That would have been a hell of a feather for him to add to his cap. To kind of tie it all together, look, Tim Duncan wasn't the most exciting player in NBA history. It's hard for me even to sit down and break down his skill set because I was more of a perimeter player, right? And so, like, as a kid, I wasn't watching Duncan trying to learn how to play, right? Like, I I appreciated how good he was, but he wasn't one of the players that you love to talk about or love to watch, right? But make no mistake, he was one of the most dominant players at his position in NBA history. And his consistent greatness and leadership led to his franchise consistently being relevant for 15 years, which led to them having the opportunity to win five NBA championships. It is hard to ignore those results. So I have Tim Duncan as the second best player of the last 25 years. All right, two mailback questions before we get out of here. This is from Freeman. What is your honest analysis on Victor Wembanyama, and what would your prediction be for his performances this season? For example, do you agree with Draymond and others who said he will struggle with strength, etc.? So Draymond's right, and a lot of people are right. He's going to struggle with strength stuff. I think he also is going to get exposed a little bit uh, in that first season as needing to go up a level as a jump shooter. He's not a perfect basketball player. It's, he's one of the most interesting prospects in NBA history, but obviously it has more to do with what he's capable of than what he is right now. I'm not expecting him to come in and be an all-star. I'm not expecting him to come in and lead the San Antonio Spurs to the playoffs, but he has elite skills right off the bat. He's already more skilled than most bigs in the NBA. That's a great foundation, right? He's already going to be one of the five best rim protectors in the NBA, right? So right off the bat, that makes him a very good role player. And especially at that specific position, which is important, <clears throat> excuse me, which is important for his ability to anchor a defense in the NBA. Having a defensive anchor is one of the most important elements to constructing an NBA team. I expect him to immediately make the Spurs better. I'd expect him to average somewhere around 17 points and 10 rebounds a game. I expect him to average two, two and a half blocks per game, potentially even more. Wouldn't be surprised if he led the leagues in, league in blocks. Uh, right away, he's going to be at least in the conversation to make an all-defense team. I, I That all 100% come down to the statistical performance because I think if he puts up you know three blocks per game, I think it could happen. And here's the reality. Regardless of how good or polished he is, he is a freak in terms of his length and mobility in the NBA. That's just a fact. And so NBA players will struggle to adjust to what it's like to play against Victor Wembanyama. And they're not going to see him every single night. They're going to see him on a random Tuesday in the regular season. And so they won't have time to get used to it, right? Like they're, over a playoff series, you might be able to figure out some of his quirks defensively. But in the regular season, I expect him to be pretty damn impactful. All right, one last mailbag question. How much emphasis do you put on repeats? You spoke about journeys and sacrifices. How much credit do you think you should give to those who repeat or three-peat? So here's the deal. I don't necessarily think it uh, should earn bonus points in these discussions because in my opinion, a championship is a championship is a championship. Like if you win four of them in an eight-year span by going win-loss, 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 
versus going loss, loss, win, 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 loss, loss. Like that doesn't matter to me at all. It's four championships is four championships. But there is an interesting element to winning an NBA championship after winning an NBA championship. One, it's there's a luck element. Like it's really hard. You know, everything a lot of things have to go right for you to win a championship. I talked about this in the Steph video, but like every championship team catches a break, right? Like even as you look at this year's Nuggets team, like they didn't have to face Milwaukee or Boston, the two best teams out east, because of a ankle injury to Jason Tatum and some overall dysfunction with the Celtics and with the Bucks, you had uh the Giannis injury, right? And so you get to face a lesser Miami Heat team. You also caught the Lakers and the Suns in kind of transition seasons, right? Like the Lakers and Suns both got significantly deeper on the margins this summer. Might be a little bit harder next year, right? Those That's the break that the Nuggets cost. You go into last season and the break that the Warriors caught by once again uh, uh, getting to face the Dallas Mavericks and their limited roster in the Western Conference Finals versus a more talented Phoenix Suns team because they all caught COVID and they all crumbled under Luka's personality, right? Like these are just examples. And Or the Warriors caught a Denver Nuggets team in the first round that didn't have two of their top four players. You go back to 2021 and he gets to uh, Giannis gets to face Paul George in the conference finals as the best player on his team in the lone star and gets to face, uh, or excuse me. Uh, um, I'm sorry. I butchered that. He gets to face the Atlanta Hawks and Trey young in the conference finals on one end. And then in the, uh, on the other end of the bracket, you have a team where the best player on the team on the team is Devin Booker who's not a top 10 player in the league. So in your conference finals and NBA finals, you didn't have to play a single top 10 player. That's a pretty big break, right? Going to 2020, you got a, older aging superstar who got to take a few months off before the playoffs. He got to play in a playoff run that did not include Steph Curry and Kevin Durant, the other two best players in the league at the time, because they were both on their couches for various reasons, right? KD was hurt. Steph Curry was hurt, right? So that's a break, right? That doesn't take away the championship. LeBron still had to go through a lot of really good teams. So did Giannis. So did Steph. So did Nikola Jokic. I'm not undercutting them, but the point is, is you catch breaks, when you win an NBA championship, the 2019 Raptors got to play their NBA final series against a Warriors team that lost Kevin Durant. The 2018 Warriors got pushed up against the wall by the Rockets and then Chris Paul gets hurt, right? 2017 Warriors, obviously they would have won no matter what, but they were down down big in game one against San Antonio before, San, uh, before Kawhi Leonard sprains his ankle. 2016, you have the Draymond Green suspension in game five of the NBA Finals. You know, 2015, you have Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love getting hurt. Like, I could go on and on and on and on, but the reality is, is you have to catch breaks to win an NBA championship. And so catching breaks two years in a row, Hard to do. And that's why I don't necessarily attribute, you know, repeats or three peats as extra credit. They are impressive because it's a motivational thing. All of the other 29 teams are more motivated than you because you're currently sitting on the mountaintop. It's a fatigue thing. You played a really long playoff run the previous year. There are definitely things you have to overcome. But generally speaking, as we go back through NBA history, the teams that repeat were freakishly talented. The last team that repeated was the most talented roster in NBA history, the Golden State Warriors. The team before that was by far the most talented team in that era, the Miami Heat with Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, and LeBron James. The team before that was the Los Angeles Lakers with Pau Gasol, Kobe Bryant, Andrew Bynum, right? Like that was a really talented basketball team. Before that, we have the Kobe Shaq Lakers. Before that, we have the MJ Pippen Bulls. Before that, we have Hakeem Olajuwon. 
Olajuwon, right, who was the best player in the league at the time, not named Michael Jordan, who was retired. Before that, Michael Jordan again. You guys get the point, you know. So, like, you're going to have to be a pretty damn talented team to repeat, especially in the modern era with how much talent there is in the league. So it's an impressive accomplishment, but impressive in a different way. And generally speaking, I'm not going to factor that in as any sort of, you know, differentiator between players, because in my opinion, a championship is a championship is a championship, regardless of when or how you want it. All right, guys, that is all I have for today. As always, I sincerely appreciate you guys for supporting the show. One last guy tomorrow, Mr. LeBron James, my favorite player in NBA history. I'm very, very excited to put that video together for you guys. And then next week, we're going to get started with our uh, season previews for the top 20 teams in the NBA. I'll see you guys tomorrow. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.